and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on the show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. This podcast is sponsored by Syncback Pro, the professional photographer's tool to keep your images safe. How safe are your photographs? Or to put it this way, how would you feel if you permanently lost some or even all of them? The fact is, there are very real risks in storing your digital images on a hard drive, even if they're backed up to an external device. There's ransomware, hardware failure, file corruption, virus infection, and even accidental deletion or destruction. Syncback Pro makes this problem go away permanently. Syncback Pro is the professional photographer's tool to back up photographs, images, documents, and data files. Once set up, it keeps your files safe, quietly and reliably in the background. So if problems occur or disaster strikes, you'll have nothing to worry about. Your photographs will be safe. Which is why it's also the backup solution that I use myself for my own photographs. Take advantage of an exclusive 25% discount today by going to www.backup.sg. The software will never expire, meaning your photographs are safe forever. That's www.backup.sg. Give your photographs the protection they deserve. And now, on with the show. A full-time nature photographer and photography educator based in the US, Alex Noriega embarked on his photography journey in 2010 while living in the upper Midwest. Originally purchasing a camera for online sales, he quickly became captivated by the art of photography. Initially focusing on architecture and portraiture, his life took a transformative turn in 2011 during a road trip to California, witnessing the majestic mountains and deserts of the West firsthand, previously known to him only through media, sparked a deep inspiration within him. Relocating to California the same year and eventually settling in Oregon by 2012, he made the decision to dedicate himself exclusively to nature photography. Exploring the captivating landscapes of the Pacific Northwest, he gradually embarked on longer excursions to the desert where he found his greatest inspiration. Living as a full-time nomad alongside his girlfriend from 2019 to 2023, they travelled across the American West in their travel trailer. However, their love for the desert eventually led them to establish a home base in southwestern Utah near Zion National Park. With these images, he aims to evoke a sense of mystery and ignite the viewer's imagination. While initially gaining recognition for grand landscapes, he now finds himself drawn to more subtle and intimate scenes. Drawing inspiration from the timeless compositions of film masters, he blends the essence of classic styles with contemporary techniques to create his unique body of work. We talk about his time living in his RV, his shift from architecture to natural landscapes, and how his style has evolved to its present form, along with a lot more. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Alex. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. How about you? Yeah, very good. Very good. It's quite a nice sunny day here in Sydney. How's the weather where you are? Hot, but cooling down for one last time for the spring, I think. Yeah. Okay. This week, cool. so that's good. Yeah. Nice. A lot of people may have heard you on other podcasts, etc. so I won't labour the point of getting you to introduce yourself, but who are you and why are you a landscape photographer? 
I'm Alex and I am a landscape photographer. Do you want the origin story? Or you just want a short explanation of why I kind of stumbled into landscape photography on accident when I, I stumbled into photography just because I had a camera to, to sell some computer parts on eBay and just got into the process of photography that way. I got obsessed with it. Sure. And then I stumbled into landscape by taking a road trip across the U.S., which is a pretty visually diverse com- country. Mm-hmm. And like the landscape is very diverse. So I saw all these mountains and deserts for the first time. And that that really inspired me. And I quickly moved out to the West Coast of the U.S., which is a lot prettier than the middle of it. And uh-huh. just started obsessing over landscape photography. So cool. that's, yeah, that was what? 12, 13 years ago now. So here I am. Fantastic. So what is it that actually motivates you creatively? What is it that gets your engine firing now, some years after you've started? I want to create a photo that takes me somewhere else. And that could be like I have some abstract photos of sparkles and foam in the water, for example. They look like a black hole to me. If I can be taken to space, that's cool. But it could just be like to a certain mood or atmosphere too. Like it reminds me of a certain feeling that a film gave me or a place in a video game or something I read in a book. If it takes me to that sort of place in my imagination or just gives me a certain feeling I can't even articulate. I just want it to make me feel something. Fair enough. Sounds good. Yeah. So where did that artistic and creative vision start for you you obviously started taking photos for selling stuff on ebay and you took that trip that trip was that about creating art or was that just about oh no it was just a trip with my friends it was for fun and it just so happened that we drove through some places i'd never seen in person that made me realize i really loved the landscape and I was already obsessed with photography for about a year at that point. Then I turned my attention from previously architecture and portraits and all that into uh, landscape at that point. Yeah, cool. Been on it ever since. Fair enough. So where did the art start? Where did you actually start thinking, okay, well, this is more than just taking, I don't want to call them snapshots, but that's the best term I can come up with. Where Where did you transition from that? taking the shots of your experiences to Mm. actually intentionally creating art i guess i'd say that in my first year of photography i had a microcosm of what would come later because i started with the snapshots as we all do yep and then i transitioned with architecture into like these abstractions of buildings i was shooting are they Frank Gehry buildings, I think, in okay, um, yeah. in Los Angeles, like the really curvy metal type of buildings. And uh, I felt like I was creating something more than just taking a picture of a building then. And then I got into landscape photography and went back to essentially snapshots, not really snapshots, but chasing other people's vision, like just trying to replicate yep. what I saw other people doing. So I don't feel like I was creating art, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then it took me years in the landscape to do what I did in a year in architecture, which is find out who I am and start making my own photos again, which is where I'd say I started creating art. So yeah, the landscape from about 2011 to through 15 was probably just chasing 
other people's photos, I would generally say. I had little flashes of myself in there, but not till about 2016 was I really making my own, I think. So yeah. that's probably where the art really started. Fair enough. Last seven years, yeah. Do you want to talk us through that process a little bit? What was it that started to gel in your mind around what your style is and should be and how is that developing as well it was this realization that what i really want to do because i want to create this sort of mood is i want to remove anything from a photo that could potentially take you out of that and Mm -hmm. i see if you look at my website, it's 95% of my photos don't have a sky because that's number one, the thing that I think is going to clue you in as to the normalcy of a scene, the yeah. ordinary yeah. nature of of being there. And I'm looking to exclude anything that kind of clues you into what it was really like. And really, I want to take you to another place. Excluding that context is something I started doing after a few years when I stopped looking at someone's amazing, frankly, these people are very good at it amazing i don't want to say postcard shots because that's a little it it sells them short but just very wide vistas like when i shot that i didn't feel like i was yeah i didn't feel like i was being i was putting myself into it very much i feel like i was just Mm -hmm. the eyewitness style of photographer like i was there and it was awesome and that there's nothing wrong with that i know a lot of people subscribe to that but i want to put myself into it more and i started realizing that if I started excluding all this context, I could do more to alter the mood of a photo and take you somewhere that that I felt in my mind, that I some flash that I had in my mind of some other place. When you don't have all those ordinary elements, you can do more to an image to to make it evoke something other than what it really was. So that's really what I started on after those first few years of the Grand Landscapes. Obviously, getting into that more intimate style of landscape or the, as you say, the out-of-context style, that process, I'd imagine, has required a fair amount of experimentation and risk-taking to push the boundaries. How do you shape that into what you do now? I would say that it was only a risk insofar as it wasn't a guaranteed photo going out. So the first few years I'd scout out a location, probably based on someone else's image that I saw. And I'd be pretty much guaranteed to know I can make something like this and maybe I'll have different weather and I'll do it slightly differently. Like I'll find a different foreground element or whatever. Yep. But I was guaranteed to find something for the most part, barring terrible weather or light, so to speak. I wouldn't even say it's terrible, but just that doesn't work for that sort of scene. And then with this sort of photography, I think that it requires a lack of expectation. It requires turning off that sort of tunnel vision for a certain shot and just being open to opportunity because you can't plan to find a certain tree catching light against a dark backdrop or whatever it is that that catches me. And so it requires a willingness to go out without any guarantee of an image and when you're trying to build a following or business, which it was never the first priority for me, but if that's what you're after, then not making photos is a risk. Yeah, definitely. So I think you have to be willing to just be okay with not 
getting anything sometimes. And that's the risk you take. But the reward is that you can find something that is a lot more rewarding to make that's more you. Great. In terms of what success looks like for you in creating an image, what is it that you define as being a successful image? As you say, you go out there with no guarantees. Yeah. And you still might take a shot. You come back and you get look at it and you go, okay, that's a winner. That's a loser. Yeah. How do you make that determination? First of all, there's the composition. I think that's the most important element of any image. So it's got to have solid balance and it has to convey the idea of the image without too many distractions. You, you have to get it when you look at it, at least for me. I want it to be apparent what the photo is about. Yep. And then visual appeal is certainly a big factor for me. I want it to be appealing to look at, whether it's typical pretty or beauty, or it's more just interesting and gnarly and maybe has more character, but not as pretty. It just has to be appealing visually, either interesting or, or beautiful. And then I look at whether it has any of me in it insofar as is it just the same thing I've seen a thousand times before, or have I done something a little bit different here? Yeah. And if it is something that I've seen a lot before, is it just a really nice example of that? Or is it just average? Because yeah. I take a lot of bad photos and I take a lot of okay photos. And I don't know that it's doing me any favors to release those sorts of things. So there's also the curation process at the tail ends, like trying to decide which images are worth putting out there. Yeah, yeah. I think that's always, for a lot of photographers, one of the hardest things to do. And it's that, particularly in the early development of your photography, that ability to be critical of your work rather than release everything. And yeah. The, there's the demands of social media and the need to put work out there but then yeah. there's also the need to make sure that you're actually curating the work How, what advice could you give to somebody that's starting out in that world to make sure that they're respecting their own creative vision but also keeping pace with what's going on in the social media scene i would say don't don't rush to be making making a living on it or making a large following because if you're already worried about that before you really know what you're trying to do and know how to curate your work, then you're poisoning the your, the art isn't first anymore already. And like I would caution people against jumping into immediately becoming a full-time photographer because it does change things if you have certain demands, like you need to put out certain images or a certain number of them for this reason or that. Yeah. yeah. And like I just would advise that while you're still developing finding out who you are that you don't worry about that stuff and only think about the art i think that's probably a big thing and yeah. same with the social media like maybe you happen to build a following maybe not but i think that will come whenever you find yourself because then you'll start to stand out from other people and people will see that you're doing something a little different and they'll follow you anyway yeah not worrying so much about what's popular but just worrying about being yourself great advice where did you pick up the skills that you're using in observations? 
in in the landscape is that something that you've just picked up along the way or were you doing something intentional to try and learn those skills i guess i just studied people's work a lot and and my own work and compared my work to other people's work and the work of those that i really admire like photographs that i really love i try to dissect them and figure out why yep and i think that when you start to be able to articulate why you like certain things or why things work or why things don't work for you, then you can form this set of preferences that you just recognize in the field. Oh, this fits what I like and I can do this with it in a way that I like. And if you're not really aware of that stuff, if it's all still subconscious, then it's harder to recognize in the field. So I think that's how is just studying my own and other people's work. Yeah, cool. And then it's not to say that I'm studying theirs to find out, like to reverse engineer it and how I can do it step by step. But just picking out all the little things that you like, like I like how he does this and I like how she does that. And just taking these ideas and blending them into your own sort of style with all your different inspirations. Cool. Do you think it's important to have goals and projects in your work or is that something that you just pick and choose as you go along? I think short-term goals, at least something to get you out there. As you start to form stronger preferences, I think that you will organically form projects. At least I do. Like I have a ridiculous number of tree photos and I haven't set out to photograph trees. It's just that I've realized over time that they're one of my favorite subjects and same with sand dunes so i like the kind of retrospective sort of project where i look back and like oh i've done a lot of this like this can actually form a project and then maybe you could fill in gaps intentionally but i don't really want to go out on assignment even for myself to create a particular kind of photo because i just feel like it's that tunnel vision that i was talking about earlier where it closes you off to seeing other opportunities yeah some it's interesting some people find that really driving in their creativity it helps them actually create more other people seem to take your approach where it's more okay i go out and i shoot what i like and then i sort of go okay as you say i've got a lot of sand dunes or i've got a lot of trees or i've got a lot of waterfalls or something i can put something together now that actually forms a body of work around that yeah yeah my way is not the right way it's just how i it's a way yeah (laughs) yeah it's a way yeah Yeah. i don't think there are right or wrong ways i think you've got to find what's right for you right yeah how do you balance the desire to capture something unique with the need to respect the and also minimize your impact on the landscape Obviously, going to some of those popular locations that people go to, evidence of, I guess, overexposure, not just in terms of, for, forgive the pun, but not just in terms of the images, but also the traffic that you see there and the fact that mm. so many people are there. I've seen behind the scenes shots of people in Antelope Canyon, for example, where there's 50 or 60 people squeezed into this little slot canyon all trying to get the shot yeah on the one hand places like that they do sometimes get overrun and destroyed but also a lot of times they put in infrastructure because there are so many people coming there certain 
popular locations at national parks or whatever, they will have like more rangers there or they'll have walkways and railings and it's set up to have a lot of people there and it's protecting everything else around that is acting as a lightning rod. Mm -hmm. And since I'm tending to stay away from those places, I'm tending to go more towards a place where maybe I don't have much impact if at all on my own. Like I, yep. I try to do leave no trace when I'm hiking in the middle of nowhere. But but if a lot of people were to go there, then it would get hurt. And yeah, yeah. I think it's just I don't have to worry about it much with the nature of what I shoot because nobody's going to be able to go find whatever that single tree yeah, was that, that I that like. Single tree it's not identifiable on the grand scale, so they can't figure out where it is and go copy it. But that has happened with the grand landscapes for me. Like I had a shot of Mount Rainier that won a competition and it was quite popular and it was at the tail end of me shooting that sort of style. So I feel like it was probably my best of that kind of image. And a lot of people went to do it themselves and it was off trail and I had hopped over all these rocks to get there yeah. and they just trampled right through all the foliage and there's a trail there now to my shot. So if it's something where you can identify where it is, then you certainly run that risk, but I don't really have to worry about it with yeah. trees and dunes. It's all just so anonymous is how Alistair Ben would say. Yeah. Anonymous yeah. subjects. I want to move on to, I guess, the lifestyle choice. Where did the concept of becoming a full-time photographer start for you? Well, I was already self-employed when I started on photography. So I had a background in IT, computers, yep. and I was already on my own, no boss for a couple of years. I just had a group of clients that I did things for, small businesses. And then moving into photography, like once I started, like I think the first thing I ever got for as far as a paid shoot was I had made a photo of the Milwaukee Art Museum and some architecture book about lighting, the Illuminating Engineering Society. They contacted me and asked to use it for their book. And I was like, oh, yeah. I can make money on my photographs. That's pretty rare to license for a book or even a magazine these days. But yeah, yeah. yeah I, I started just transitioning to the photography income because I was already doing the computer stuff on my own. Yeah. And then people started wanting to learn, which is actually a lot more consistent of an income. Once I started to do something a little differently, they wanted to learn how I was doing it. And I was booked up like nine to five every day, Monday through Friday on Skype doing one-on-one wow. -on -one sessions. Yeah, yeah. And that's when I fully transitioned. That was 10 years ago now. And because I was self-employed the whole time, like since 2008, I've had all the time in the world to dedicate to photography. And so any opportunity that came my way, I was able to say yes to or make it happen. And yeah, just transitioned into the teaching and then the prints and licensing and all that other stuff, it still comes in, but it's just not, it's not yeah, yeah, predictable. Yeah, you can't count on it. Or predictable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do quite a few workshops out in the field as well as your Skype stuff. What does a workshop with Alex Noriega look like? I don't do the Skype stuff anymore, or I didn't okay. because I was just on the road for three and a half years in an RV. I, this yeah. office behind me is new the last couple of months. I moved back into a house. 
so I guess I could, but no, I'm not doing any Skype stuff, just selling the tutorials she can download and then the workshops and the workshops are, you know, we have a morning and evening session. I always work with someone. So I work with my friends, TJ Thorne is a great photographer and William Neal are right now the people I'm running workshops with. And I just, it's more fun for us. It's more fun for the students, I think, to have two perspectives and get two different looks at everything we're doing because we're different artists even though we overlap yeah but yeah that it's a morning and evening session every day sometimes like a classroom session in the middle of the day like an image review type thing um, but there's no set itinerary really it's not oh we're going here this day and we're going to chase this particular kind of light it's just we see what the weather's doing and see what's best that day and go out and see what we find and i try to point out things that i'm seeing happen happenings of light or new subjects and I don't put away my camera for the whole workshop. I know a lot of people like to do that, but actually I find that students get a lot out of watching me compose something. So I'll be like, hey, check this out and come watch how I decide on the framing of this and yeah. why I went, why I'm going for this and actually seeing how it's done in the field. But I'm always willing to drop that for them if they have a question. So that's pretty much what it's like. We just go out twice a day, nice. see what we see. In terms of that composition, that's just something I want to touch on. As you've mentioned it, is that something you are trying to do entirely in camera or are you doing oh, much in terms of cropping? and? Oh, I'll do whatever I have to do in post to make the composition work, but yeah. but ideally in camera. Yeah, I, you want to get it as, as right as you yeah, can. I don't shoot like film or large format or medium format, but I shoot like I do. Like actually I have a crop sensor camera now. A Fuji yeah. and I still treat it like it's large format or something like I have a geared head and I'm just very particular about the composition in the field unless the light is fleeting and I have to shoot it handheld or something yeah. I'd spend a lot of time on the minutia of composition but maybe I didn't really see it a certain way in the field or see it in as good a way as I could so then later on I realize a crop is better or I can shift the balance here or there like I'll do whatever I have to do because that's the number one thing in a photo. But I'm not like assembling composites from different places or anything. It's just like it's, most of my photography is a single frame. I hardly even focus stack or exposure blend. And yeah. Yeah. it's mostly just shifting things around in a single frame or cropping. Yeah. yeah. Nice. In terms of where you're shooting, you mentioned that you spent some time in an RV. What was life on the road like? for Alex what did a typical day entail a typical day was whatever you do at home but in a smaller shittier version of it <laughs> and so my desk here was just like half of a tiny RV dinette and my desktop computer with two monitors was instead a laptop that's where I did all my processing for three and a half years and instead of fast internet where I could do an interview like this it was just slow cell phone based internet Sure. And but we were out there. We were in these national parks and pretty places most of the time. But that actually had an effect on my motivation because I it became normal to be there instead yeah. of when you're traveling and you're excited about being in a place and it's not very comfortable in your tent or the back of your vehicle. And so yeah. you want to get out and be outside. But if you bring all the comforts of home with you and you're there for a month, it's like there's no particular thing motivating me on any given day. Yeah. That's one of the reasons we stopped it is I actually want to, I want to travel for photography again. And by that, not go far, but I want to be on a trip. I want it to feel like I'm on an adventure more because that motivates me. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want it to be too normal. I have issues with motivation. Let's talk about motivation. How do you stay motivated? How do you, if you feel you've shot an area to death, for example, how do you move on from there? Do you just go somewhere else or do you do a different style? What sort of things do you do to stay motivated? I don't think any particular area I've shot to death, even the ones I've shot the most, because mm -hmm. because of the things I shoot, I feel like there's always something new to be found. Like I haven't covered all the ground. I've just found a bunch of small anonymous subjects or smaller yeah. And there's always some other perspective or some happening of light in particular that could make a composition that was never there before. That's exciting and interesting. So I, I'm always open to that possibility. That's one thing that can motivate me is maybe something will happen that I can't even imagine right now. Yeah. But I would say that seeing my own work, my, my best work, when I look back, sometimes I go on these hiatuses and maybe part of that was the RV and being out there so long that it became normal and I lost some motivation. But when I'd go on hiatus, then I'd look back after a couple of months of not even thinking about photography and look at my favorites gallery or look at a collection I put out and I'd be like, whoa, that's me. I did that. <laughs> oh, I forgot that I can do that. And that's pretty cool. And then I motivate myself, like, look at what I could be doing. Why are you just sitting around? You could be doing this. You've already shown that you can do this. Do it more. Or just seeing other people. A lot of people jokingly will say, oh, this is so good. I quit and throwing my camera away. But actually, when I see people do great work, I just think, why didn't I think of that? Why can't I do that? Like, it just yeah. makes me want to go make, find something of my own. So seeing great work can inspire me and motivate me in that way, too. Basically, just anything to remind me that I am capable of it. Yeah, cool. Because it is satisfying to create the work. And when I look back on my best or most recent work, it, it reminds me of that satisfaction. And then I just want to do it again. I want to make more. Yeah, yeah. Are there any, without giving away some of your secret spots, but are there any favorite spots that you go to that you just have to keep getting back to it and just calls you? They're not secret. Some of them, many of them are, but they're in Southern Utah. There are a lot of, there's a whole lifetime of secrets to be discovered and places that are less often visited. Yeah, yeah. Just really desolate places, but they have really wonderful things tucked away around every corner. Like some of the Badlands shots that I have are in a very remote place. But they're actually Death Valley National Park, Zion National Park, and Yosemite National Park are all very well known. Yeah, yeah. And I find endless things to photograph in there. Like those are probably my top three places. And I try to avoid crowds, but these are giant parks where you just walk a little bit away from the hot spots and you're all on your own. Yeah, yeah. It's not that hard to find somewhere that's a little bit more isolated. No, everyone flocks to the lightning rods and then yeah. you just walk half a mile and you're away from them. Yeah. But yeah, those are my favorite places probably. And it doesn't, they don't have to be secret because maybe my tree is secret, this little thing that I found, but yeah. but. I'll tell you what national park it's in. I don't think you're going to go find the same tree. You're going to find your own thing. Yeah. If you could retire at one of the places you've shot, which one would it be? Right now, I just moved in to a house an hour from Zion. So that's pretty cool. Death Valley is another one. And Death Valley is only about an hour, maybe an hour and a half from the Eastern Sierra Mountains, which are another wonderfully beautiful place. Yep. Actually, I don't know if Joshua Cripps, he just moved. 
between yeah. those yeah. two places, between Death Valley and the Sierra. That's a really good area. Maybe I could see myself someday. And outside of Yosemite somewhere too, although California is just insanely expensive. And yeah. I, it'd be hard to decide which side because it it's in the Sierra Mountains, which the pass is all closed in the winter. Like right now they're buried in 15 feet of snow. So which side would I want to live on? Because then you have to drive seven hours to get around to the other side. But uh, yeah, somewhere outside Yosemite or Zion or Death Valley. And right now I've got Zion. So that's where I'll be focusing. Did you pick where you because of Zion? Or... Yeah. 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 It's yeah. right in the heart of the Southwest. So there's all these other places I'm talking about are within a four hour drive. Yosemite's yeah. farther, but all the desert places are really close. Uh, very nice. What's your most memorable photography experience? Maybe photographing. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, here it is. The wind on the dunes. Yeah. Windy dunes are always memorable. And there were in 2022, a number of windy days because we were there for a month and a half. We were there for every windstorm that happened that year. And it was a very windy year. So just ready to jump out to the dunes anytime it was windy, which is normally a more rare condition. And it's very good for photography. It diffuses the light and simplifies everything greatly and it's dramatic, but also the images come out very calming, crazy because it's a violent experience. But yeah, that, that is memorable. I'll never forget that. Yeah. And some of the backpacking I've done to the mountains, which I hesitate to say because the photography part was just secondary, but ostensibly I was there for photography, like backpacking to remote mountain lakes, alpine lakes. That's always memorable. I think sometimes the trip can be more rewarding than the photography. Oh yeah. I like, I like when both work out. I like when I'm backpacking 10 miles into the backcountry at 10,000 feet where there's 60% of the oxygen there is at sea level. I don't want to carry an extra 15 pounds of camera gear just for nothing, but that's part of why I'm on a crop sensor now. But yeah, that's the trip should be paramount. The experience in any endeavor, I think, unless you're shooting by the roadside or something where it's just the subject happens to be near a subpar experience. Yeah. I think you should try to be enjoying yourself more so than just trying to get a photo and hating what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any horror stories? Not many recent ones, but long time ago, I was in Glacier National Park with some friends and we had a bear run in and that it was a grizzly bear. So that was frightening. Luckily, there were four of us, so we were able to collectively make ourselves look big enough. But for a while, it felt like the bear was stalking us, like just off the trail next to us. You can hear him in the bushes and we ran into him on the trail, like maybe 10 feet away from us. If we were alone, if any one of us were alone, that probably would have been it. But yeah. Luckily, we were all together. That was frightening. There have been times where I've gotten my vehicle stuck, but I always have a spot, like a little Garmin GPS thing. So I'm never too scared about that. It's just more yeah. of an inconvenience. What's the practice of photography taught you about nature? That there are, that it repeats itself, that there are so many different scales and places where you'll find the exact same things in nature, like the same patterns. And I find that pretty fascinating, like all the way up to space. If you look at uh, like the cosmic web or whatever the pattern is between all the galaxies and the superclusters, like I found Mm -hmm. macro shots that follow the exact same pattern. So it taught me that like 
the rules of the universe and nature they repeat it's fractal in nature that's pretty cool and like i see photos of my own like i see a shoot a big version of something and then i see a macro later that's all oh, this looks just like that or i just shoot two different subjects that end up being a very similar composition like similar swirling patterns but totally different things and then i look to them side by side i'm like these are not even the same subjects taken the same day and they look almost exactly the same like nature has a set of rules i don't know a reason to it yeah nice (laughs) (laughs) what's your process look like in the field are you just looking for light looking for something interesting when you're out there and are you yeah just wandering tripods or are you mostly handheld now or i'm handheld while i'm exploring i don't want to be on a tripod from the start because then you're limiting your creativity and you're limiting yourself to tripod height probably if you're being lazy about it and i like to just actually before even pulling the camera out sometimes i just use my phone to frame things up and pinch zoom and find different potential compositions and then something interests me and i'll pull the camera out and start playing and then when i really find something i like i'll pull out the tripod if i have time and it's just wandering though like i don't usually have a particular destination or thing in mind i might have some ideas but just seeing what i see i try to go out on days when light could be interesting or go to places where there's a lot of possibility so it's yeah just a lot of different subjects interacting and that's why i like yosemite and zion so much because they're both like large canyons essentially with a lot of like trees and water in them and because of that the sun like creates all sorts of different light situations throughout the day as it passes behind gaps in the walls and you've got shadow over here and something lit up against the shadow Mm -hmm. like little sunrises and sunsets all over on certain subjects throughout the day so somewhere that where it's just endless possibility you just sometimes i drive around to cover more ground like in yosemite in particular a road loops through the whole valley so you can just drive around until you see something interesting happening and then pull over and get out and start walking. That way you'll see more things than you ever could if you were just on foot the whole day. Yeah, definitely. More potential. Yeah. So you've got your card full of images. Are you straight back to the processing suite and into processing mm-hmm. or are you leaving things for a while before you get into them? That's actually something I talk about in my new tutorial. It's a curation process that I've developed where, but the, in a nutshell, I, I try to capture my, my initial excitement. I make rough drafts of everything right away. And then I let everything sit and look at it repeatedly for a long time to help curate and weed out what I was just excited about because it was new and what's actually good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I I try to copy the images right away just so I can, because I'll forget things otherwise that I was doing in the field if I don't at least flag things or make some notes or rough drafts. No, that's great. In terms of your use of composition and lighting and also the post-processing, quite a lot of your work aims towards that more abstract or impressionistic image that kind of pushes the boundaries of what traditional landscape photography is. How do you try to create a story in that? Or are you trying to create a story? No, (laughs) not usually. So I feel like a lot of people say you need a story. I don't think that's true because 
whatever story you think you're telling, you might not get it across anyway. People interpret things differently. Yeah. So I'm really only concerned with what story it tells me. And it's not really a story so much as a feeling most of the time. It's just gives me a certain, it puts me in a certain mood or makes me think of a certain place. It's evocative of something. And then it's probably totally different when people look at it. But I guess sometimes me and the viewer overlap on our interpretation or at least liking the same things. And that's really all I'm trying to do. And also sometimes I'll use the titles to hint at a story. Sometimes there is a bit of a story and just a sim simple title can tell enough of it to get your mind on a different track than it would have been otherwise. I have the shot of these leaves that look like a galaxy. So I named it Andromeda. And so now that's what I was thinking. And yeah, you can think of it that way if you didn't see it that way right away. Yeah. But that's about as far as I take the storytelling. Okay. And sometimes the titles refer to my inspiration without telling a story. They're just like a reference to what I saw in it. Yeah. They're all esoteric though. Do you prefer shooting alone or with other people? I like being alone when I'm really into it. I like having other people nearby, like maybe a couple of friends, but we spread out. We're not right over each yeah. other's shoulders or lined up tripods touching i do like to focus and any sort of socializing is going to remove me from my focus ideally i think all my best work comes when i'm alone or at least separated from the people i'm with but i like going out with my friends still what do you say is being the biggest challenge for photographers right now right now yeah differentiating it seems like there's a lot of the same and even with ai now like the fact that very samey looking photos can just be produced with a text prompt, like kind of the amalgamation of everything you've ever seen on Instagram. Sure. I think there's probably a challenge to stand out to do something different. Maybe it'll, maybe AI will help push people to be more, to find more of what makes them unique. Because if they see that an AI can make a photo kind of similar to theirs, at least I would feel bad if that if that was the case, maybe they can. I don't know. Maybe you feed an AI my whole portfolio and then it can just pretend to be me and I don't even have to take photos anymore. <laughs> no, but I think that... Future uh, business model? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that... I don't think it can do that. I think it's just... It's always going to be a repetition or amalgamation of everything. And I would say that my style is probably an amalgamation of all my inspirations and inputs and uh, but that's i still might have i might see something that i've never seen before whereas i feel like the ai would probably only see what i've seen before and some yeah. version of it it wouldn't think of anything completely new but maybe i'm wrong on that anyway i think that it's not really about ai but about standing out and i feel like it's getting even harder to stand out probably yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. The volume of images being shoved down everyone's throats, or they they're sucking down their throats because yeah. they're, uh, <laughs> they're yeah. willing, willingly scrolling the fire them. hose of images. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. That ability to stand out and do something that's a little bit unique is is quite a challenge. Where yeah, do you find your the, niche? Yeah, yeah. Where do you see the future of photography going? I don't know. I just hope that I have, I can keep doing what I'm doing and not be replaced by a computer or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, yeah, it's getting more and more commoditized. There used to be stock photography used to be a viable way to do it. Yeah. That's how William Neal used to do his 
used to make a living work with yeah. him and he tells me about how that what he used to get paid for that now it's just pennies and yeah, you're lucky if you get anything at all <laughs> yeah and it's just more and more it's becoming more and more accessible like with cameras getting better and all these tutorials out there and free youtube videos and knowledge like to get to a certain baseline level of quality and create acceptable photos so i think that i guess in the future it's going to be even harder to stand out or to do something different but also it's nice because then you're not so focused on all the technical aspects that used to hold people back yeah and it's really just purely the art like you don't have to worry about exposure blending because it has enough dynamic range now or whatever yeah you can just think about the composition and the art and what you have to say that's a good thing it is getting easier, though, technically speaking. Definitely, definitely. What do you like to do when you're not out shooting? I play games. I play guitar. I have one back there. Yep. I hang out with my girlfriend that I live with, watch movies. Yeah, pretty much just music and computers and games. And yep. we still like to go out, even if I'm not shooting. We go out to go hiking or go to these places and bring our cameras but maybe don't have any intent to shoot i feel like anytime that i'm doing anything out of the house that's not in the city mm. i have the camera with me and that's what i'm doing is keeping an eye open it's not that i'm going out with the express intent to shoot but i'm always open to it yeah if you weren't a photographer what would you be probably work in computers although i don't think i'd have anywhere near as interesting of a life because <laughs> I I used to do that before and like I'm good at it I guess that's why Photoshop came easily to me but I don't it's not that rewarding to me it's yeah. kind of soul-sucking setting up networks and stuff I like fiddling with my own computer I don't like having to do it for other people <laughs> yeah I had a quite a long career in in IT myself and <laughs> yeah it's not fun doing it for somebody else it's okay doing no. it for to... yeah for myself it's a fun little project and then all of a sudden it's terrible work for someone else That's so it. i think that yeah i'm just happy that i found photography because geez my life is quite a bit different than it ever would have been yeah. i might still be in the midwest of the u.s surrounded by a flat boring landscape and just working 40 hours a week setting up networks for businesses or something i don't know sure. it's not nearly as cool as all the travel i've gotten to do no definitely not definitely not. yeah We've all got our inspirational and aspirational photographers. Who's your go-to and who do you think I should be talking to on the podcast? Those might be different people because I, my go-tos, probably Charles Kramer and Guy Tall. Yep. And I don't know if Charlie does podcasts or anything like that. And Guy is very much an artist, artist and that he's an introvert as far as I know and doesn't isn't probably likely to come on okay. many shows, if anything. Sure. And uh, William Neal, another one. And I have, I'm fortunate enough to work with one of my heroes in William. And uh, again, I don't know how much he likes speaking on <laughs> public speaking sort of <laughs> things. So beyond my main, Christopher Burkett, again, old film guy, another top five inspiration. And yeah, I don't think he does podcasts or anything, but moving to more of like my colleagues who are also very inspiring to me i work with tj thorne a lot and yeah, i've already had him on the show you had him on okay yeah because yeah. he just and i started out 
tutoring him on photography and he just now blows me away with his creativity and i feel like i'm inside a box and he's outside the box like he's doing all the interesting stuff now and i always i'm blown away by what he does yeah wow so he's inspiring to me and sarah marino one of my friends that she's really good jennifer renwick too yep and jennifer's partner david kingham I'm just going to recommend all my friends because I don't know. Josh Cripps, it's really cool if you had him on. I haven't had Josh on. He's definitely on the list, though. <laughs> yeah, all my colleagues and friends inspire me. And I I think a lot of them would being on a podcast and a lot of them would hate the idea of doing something so extroverted as talking for an hour about themselves or something. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to hit some of them up and see whether or not we get anything out of them. Cool. Do you have you had Eric Bennett on? No, not yet. He's he's, he's a good one he's a good podcast. Yeah, he'll yeah. he's a good talker and a good photographer. So, yeah. all right. I'm well, a little annoyed that he cut his hair though, because I was growing out to try to match him, and he had this really <laughs> long hair, and no, he just bailed. I don't know. He cut it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how short did he go? Oh, like a almost a buzz cut. I don't know. Yeah. It's he's just starting over. Like, Great, thanks for abandoning me. To, to worry about. So. <laughs> yeah. I've only got one more question for you. And for many listeners, it's the most important one that we can get to the bottom of in terms of landscape photographers. Do you like pineapple on pizza? Yeah. Yeah. I think anyone who's opposed to it doesn't really understand how many different places in food you'll find like sweet and savory as a combo. Yeah. And it's good if you haven't tried it. And if you have tried it and you think it's gross on pizza, don't turn yourself off to pineapple and other stuff. I had this this steak, what was it? These fajitas. Uh-huh. And yeah. in the fajitas, they had pineapple. And I swear they are the best fajitas I've ever had because of that punch of sweetness. That sounds yeah. absolutely yeah. fantastic. Like fajitas are already good enough. They've got all the peppers and all meat in there and sizzling plate, but Man, that pineapple really set it off. And I feel like sometimes on pizza, I really like like that burst of sweetness. I also like it spicy. Nice, yeah. Put on the crushed red pepper, just coat it in it. Sounds amazing. <laughs> A lot of people don't realize there's an enzyme in pineapple, pineapple juice, that actually tenderizes steak. Really? Yeah, if you want maybe to, that's why. Yeah, if you want a super tender yeah. steak, you it, it doesn't take very long because it starts to break down if you leave it overnight. So only half an hour, eat a bit of pineapple juice, and you'll have the tenderest steak you've ever had. Wow, this can be a culinary podcast too. I don't Definitely. know. Definitely. I don't know these tips. <laughs> I buy food that other people made for me. I'm not much of a cook. <laughs> yeah, I can do tacos though. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me, Alex. It's been wonderful getting to know you. Yeah. Where can people find your work? AlexNoriega.com. It's all there. Or social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Vero, I guess. Pretty mm -hmm. much Instagram, though. I just, it's not that I think it's the best photography delivery platform, but I just have the biggest following there, and I don't want to post to five different apps every time I want to share a photo. So my website's actually the best place. And then if you insist on social media, you'll find me out there too. Fantastic. All right. Thanks again, Alex. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. 
You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. If you're interested in buying prints or photography gear or doing a photo workshop with me, these are now on sale on my website. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon. Mm -hmm.